Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 58. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I have a fascinating discussion for you. This is the first in my series on trauma and attachment, and I'm interviewing Amy Sugeno, LCSW, who is in Texas and specializes in helping people who have attachment trauma or parents of children who have attachment trauma. She talks about how attachment trauma affects people in ways that they may not even realize. So I think this is a really interesting and important discussion. And we're going to continue talking about attachment and trauma over the next weeks. Um, On alternating weeks, I'll have episodes on attachment and trauma and then episodes on integrative mental health. A lot of those episodes on integrative mental health will relate to um, methods that can be helpful for trauma. So I'm really excited about both of these series and I hope you're going to enjoy them as much as I have. But let's go ahead and get started listening to my conversation with Amy Sugeno. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today I'm super excited to have with me a very interesting guest, Amy Sugeno, LCSW. Amy, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm so glad to have you and have you back. You're one of the people who I interviewed months ago and unfortunately lost the audio for, so one who was very gracious to allow me to re-record our interview and I'm hoping it's going to be even better this time. Yes, yes, looking forward to it. So Amy, let's just start right off. If you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your practice. Yeah, so I um, I am a therapist down in Texas, um, central Texas near, not too far from Austin. And uh, I have a small private practice where I work with mostly attachment trauma. And so I work with adults and also teenagers, um, mostly who have been adopted or maybe like adoptive parents, foster parents, um, and sometimes also parents who are raising their uh, birth child who's been through trauma. So my background, my training is in, uh, for the past 10 years or so, has been working with all kinds of different traumas, um, but now I have a little bit more of a narrow focus into adoption, attachment trauma. Um, I'm I'm adopted and my son's adopted, so it's also, I think that's part of why I have such passion for working in this area now. And then I also, uh, one of the unique things that I do, at least in my area, is called ecotherapy. So I do a lot of the traditional or conventional talk therapies, but then I also try to do a lot of nature-based therapy when that is appropriate for a particular client. Awesome. That's so interesting. And can you talk a little bit about, um, let's say someone is listening who's thinking, hmm, 
I'm adopted, but I don't know what she would mean by attachment trauma. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yes. Um, so attachment trauma is, you know, kind of what it sounds like in the sense that uh, <clears throat> when in those formative years, particularly zero to three, zero to five, but really I think also just kind of your whole childhood, when there's a lot of development happening and a lot of bonding that's happening with your caregiver, your parent or wh whoever's raising you, uh, when, um, when there's trauma around uh, being able to bond or attach, and so for adoption, of course, that means um, that you were removed from your birth mother or or were given up or, or whatever the circumstances might be. And so losing your birth mother, even if um, it was a, um, even if it was something that wasn't necessarily traumatic um, as far as what it might look like, like she gave you up maybe willingly because of whatever different reasons, um, <clears throat> that can cause a lot of trauma for the developing baby or toddler. Um, and I kind of think about it as you, you know, you were in this, you were in your birth mom's womb for nine months. And so that was your whole world. And then, so even if, even being given up as a baby, um, if that, if that attachment bond was, uh, severed in, for some reason as a baby and you were adopted, uh, <clears throat> even at that young age, everything that you knew, your whole world is now, has now changed. It's now gone. And so it can cause, um, the baby to just be, um, not really sure what's going on. You know, every, the, the smells are different. The sounds are different. Um, so even placed into a loving home, a safe home, it, it can be a really, I, I feel like that it's probably a really confusing experience. And I say I feel like because I, you know, we can't know exactly what it's like for like a newborn baby or a young baby. Um, but there is then, and not necessarily for every adopted person, but for a number of people, um, that can then lead to a lot of difficulties later on as far as how to trust people, um, how to even form relationships with people in a healthy sort of way. Uh, maybe you have lots and lots of friends, but it's hard to have like deeper friendships. Um, all, all different kinds of um, things can come up later on that have to do with um, basically a very deep fear of abandonment um, that is not a logical thing often. It's not like the person's logically thinking, oh my gosh, you know, my friend might not want to be friends with me anymore. It's, it's a really deep sort of uh, <clears throat> subconscious kind of thing that happens with people. Thank you for explaining that. And I think it's really, adoption is such an interesting um, experience in our culture that, you know, we, there are many children who are born and then they move to an adoptive family at, at any point it could be from, you know, in the first days after birth and any point along their childhood development path. But, um, culturally we have this message of, um, you know, if you were adopted, then now you're in a better situation. So there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. 
and there's, you know, everything's happy now. It's like happily ever after. But for the person who was adopted, if they experience that attachment trauma that you just spoke about, they may not feel like they may feel, well, something's not okay for me. I don't know what it is because I'm in this loving family. I've always been wanted. You know, I, I never even knew my birth mother. So it's not that, but it could be related to that, that attachment trauma that they can't really place. They can't put their finger on it. Yes. And I, I kind of, uh, the best way that I can think about it in my mind, the way I'll often describe it to people, it's kind of like trying to, um, hold on to fog <clears throat> you've got this fog around you you can see it it's real you can you can maybe feel it if it's really thick fog but you can't actually just grab a hold of fog and so what i mean by that is that it's it is it can often be like a pervasive kind of um maybe it's a pervasive sort of confusion or maybe it's a pervasive feeling of like, oh, I just don't really fit. And it may not even be in the person's conscious mind, or it may be, um, but I don't really fit anywhere. Like I don't, maybe I don't really look like my parents, my adoptive parents, um, or maybe I do, but uh, maybe my temperament is different. So it kind of brings in the idea of how important mirroring is, um, where uh, as, especially when you're very little and as you're growing up and your brain is developing, how helpful it is to be able to see yourself in your parents. Maybe that's something as simple as your hair color or <clears throat> maybe it's a, you can sing really well like your mom or you can, you're really athletic like, you know, uh, your aunt or, or something like that. But you, you can see where you come from if, if you're not an adopted person. Uh, but for adopted people, um, one of the hard things, and sometimes this doesn't even really uh, start to come up as anything until you're an adult. I mean, it's it's very um, personal for everybody. Some some people right away have a lot of difficulty around their adoption, and some people it may not be until they're 30 or 40 years old that things start to come up, you know, into their awareness. But I think there's something about not knowing where you come from, not knowing, <clears throat> excuse me, not knowing who you come from, unless it's an open adoption, of course, then you might have some, some more of those answers, but not knowing some, for some people, it can be not knowing, uh, where your land is. Um, for some people that's not that important, but it could be, um, you know, for me being born, I mean, uh, yet being born somewhere that was different from where my birth family grew up on my mom's side ended up being a really big deal for me. But that mirroring thing becomes uh, really, I think, a big deal sometimes for people to just kind of know who you are and where you come from. And so um, I think that the complexity also comes in, especially when you're still a, a kid, um, and especially if you have very loving parents and it's, it can be very difficult to, to maybe talk about or ask questions of your parents, your adoptive parents, because you maybe don't want to hurt their feelings or you're not really sure how they're going to feel about you asking if, if they know anything about your birth mom or your birth dad or the circumstances around your, why you were adopted. Um, and so it's easy for people to just kind of push it 
away, push it aside, sometimes even push it completely out of awareness so that you feel like I, it doesn't even affect me, doesn't affect me in the least, my adoption, you know, I, I really doesn't affect me. And for some people that may be true. For some people it's more of like they pushed it aside and really don't want to or can't yet look at that very deeply. Yeah. And the things that we push aside, you know, and don't think about because we can't handle thinking about them are so outside of our awareness most of the time that we don't know we're doing it at all. It's very unconscious. Yes, exactly. And I think it speaks to, uh, and, and, you know, I've met people and I'm sure that many of your listeners have too, um, you know, maybe come across somebody who's adopted, maybe they're already an adult, um, and they, you know, talk about their adoption like, no, I don't, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I want nothing to do with it. I have no desire to meet my birth mom or my birth dad. Uh, and so on the surface, you know, the words that they're saying make it sound like maybe they're not really that affected. It's not really a big part of their lives. But the, uh, the intensity of how they're speaking, like, no, I don't want anything to do with it. I can care less kind of gives you a hint to that maybe it is a, it is a place that has a lot of, uh, if they were to look into it more deeply, maybe it would have just a lot of overwhelming pain or confusion. And, you know, in that way that trauma works, it's not, it's not logical at all. It's not like, well, you know, I don't have any pain around it because I know that my birth mom, she just, she had to give me up, you know, because, um, of whatever different circumstances. It wasn't because she didn't love me. It wasn't anything about me that I did wrong. And you can have all the logic in your mind that you want, but that way that trauma doesn't really uh, connect with logic. It's more, so it becomes this deep place of abandonment. Even if you know you weren't abandoned, you know, per se, or you weren't abandoned because of something horrible about yourself, it, it, it's still, it, for some people, it can still have that feeling. There's something so horrible about me or so deficient about me that they just, she just had to give me up. And so that, that kind of speaks into the trauma piece, but that's really deep and difficult and painful stuff to, to look at. And so it's, it, it's understandable that people want or need to keep that pushed aside uh, and maybe let it come out in little bits and pieces or maybe it doesn't come out at all. Um, so that's so that's why it's the trauma piece of it. Why it's you know characterized by having uh, characterized by being called trauma, attachment trauma. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my Issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code CHAT to get two free months. 
Yes. And, you know, one of the things that we both know as people who work with trauma is that if um, our trauma is outside of our awareness, it creeps in sometimes and comes out in different ways. So for children, a lot of times, um, isn't it true that children who have experienced some kind of trauma um, will show it through acting out in various ways, either externalizing or internalizing that trauma. And that can be really hard for the parent. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of times, and I'm not a children's therapist. I work, I do work with teenagers, but I'm not like a little kid, uh, younger kid uh, therapist, but in working with parents. And of course I have my own, uh, a a child who's adopted too. um, I have a sense of, of some of this, uh, and so with kids, exactly, they, it, it's often more their behaviors that come out. So they're, they're not typically going to be able to, developmentally, not going to be able to tell you, here's how I feel. Maybe as an older teenager, they could possibly, but they're not going to be able to use words like an adult could and say, here's my trauma and here's why I'm acting this way and <laughs> that right. kind of thing. So you're right. They're going to have more externalizing behavior, which which for adopted kids who have been adopted or you know in foster care, uh, sometimes that can be really aggressive. You know, even violent, uh, sometimes um, extremely violent behaviors, um, or it can be more like a, aggressive. You know, words. What it may be not physical violence, but um, so it can often come out in those kind of ways. Um, or kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like a super withdrawing um, so that the child becomes um, it's almost it almost to me it feels like almost like a violence to yourself so it might be actually like self-harm or suicidal thoughts but it could also just be more uh, oh I just hate myself I'm a horrible person like these thoughts that are very internally uh, damaging and so so kids, when that abandonment button is pushed, and it can be in a nanosecond, it can, and it can be something that so, uh, seems so simple on the outside. Maybe you, you know, ask your child to please pick up their shoes off the floor or something very normal, and all of a sudden something about that has just pushed that abandonment button, that attachment trauma button, and in a nanosecond, they're just, they're yelling, maybe they're throwing things, or they're you know, I hate you and they're running to their room and if they, they might begin to self-harm. I mean, and so, and it can be really startling for parents. Like what in the world just happened? All I asked was a simple thing, you know, and so these are not uncommon behaviors for kids who have gone through attachment trauma or, or trauma in general. So for parents then what that means is that you are now, uh, by virtue of trying to parent them and trying to help them and you're doing your best in a very difficult parenting situations, you are now being exposed, regularly exposed to their trauma. Uh, either they're telling you some things that they remember happening, like tra- their trauma stories that have happened, or by virtue of those behaviors, especially if you're a very sensitive person as a parent, it, you're just picking up all of that. Mm-hmm. And so you can then, as a parent become, uh, you can actually develop PTSD, compassion fatigue, secondary trauma from parenting a child who is, uh, trying to heal from their trauma or who is expressing their trauma. And so then parents can start to, um, wonder 
uh, about their own mental health, sometimes they'll they'll start to notice like I don't feel like myself anymore. Uh, I'm more irritable. I'm uh, I'm I'm withdrawing all the time. I'm um, I don't like my kid or. Uh, I'm exhausted and not just tired. It's like to the bone, exhausted all the time. I just, I don't feel like myself anymore. I used to be a happy person or I used to love to do this, you know, play guitars or some kind of hobby. And now I don't, all I want to do is just, uh, you know, lay on the couch or watch TV or something. So I think this is a really important piece for parents because it's not something that's talked about a whole lot, secondary trauma. In adoptive and foster parents, also parents who are raising a birth child who has had trauma, um, <clears throat> it becomes just that much more critical that you are also finding a way to take care of yourself, which is a really hard thing to do when you are in the trenches, in the war zone, is what it can feel like in trying to parent your child. And maybe like all of your friends or many of your friends and your social support around you don't understand what you're going through. Maybe they are having a more normal kind of, uh, you know, regular sort of parenting situation. Their child hasn't gone through trauma. So they don't really understand what you're going through or why your child is behaving like they're behaving when they come, when you, you know, when your friend comes over or you get together at the playground or whatever it might be. And so then you start it, then that leads into a lot of isolation, a lot of a lot of shame. Uh, and so um, that's something I, I really like to work with parents on in, in my practice is really bringing that up, that secondary trauma. Like, let's talk about this. This is a real thing. It's really important. It's it can be devastating, not only for your mental health, but your physical health. Uh, it can make it very hard to, to parent. And all of this stuff is just, uh, it's stuff that just happens. And, and so in counseling, we can work on that and try to help uh, manage that, you know, um, in a better way so that the person is not suffering quite so much from their secondary trauma. Yeah, that's a great point about secondary trauma. And I've, I've been thinking too, a couple things about, um, this, but one is that um, for a parent who has adopted a child, they may have had a struggle with infertility before making the decision to adopt. They may have had perhaps multiple miscarriages or other pregnancy losses um, before adopting. And so those can all be traumatic too. So you take that mix of traumatic experiences. And then, um, you know, in this story we tell ourselves, it's like, okay, everything's okay now. We've adopted a wonderful child. We've, our family is now feels complete and everything's supposed to be, you know, sunshine and rainbows from here. And uh, then the child who experienced either the attachment trauma or some other type of trauma in their early childhood is acting out and the parent begins to have those effects of secondary traumatic stress. I imagine it can just make people feel like they are really like going crazy. I think you've touched on such a great point. Um, there's a few things about that. Um, so yes, for people who um, are adopting 
for a lot of people, maybe not everybody, but but for a number of people, it's exactly like what you were describing. Uh, maybe they've had struggles with infertility, and so they've had a lot of infertility treatments that they've had to undergo, or miscarriages. So, so that you be you begin your life as a parent. Like, say that the adoption goes through, and now you're at home starting your new life with your adopted child. Um, it it it's not uncommon to start your parenting journey, your you know, your life as a parent, uh, from a really exhausted place, first of all, and also from a place where you are possibly still carrying a tremendous amount of grief. Yeah. And perhaps you have worked on some of that grief. If you, if you've gone to therapy or some grief support groups, maybe you've begun to work on some of that, but probably there's still a lot of it, uh, that's still there. And so that's the first part is that you're not starting your parenting uh, life as a parent from like a refreshed place or a place that is, you know, kind of completely happy. And, and, and so that's, that's a really hard thing because while you're, while you're having to uh, help your new child adjust to their new home and to their new family, you're still dealing with so much grief and, that's too much really. I mean, it strikes me as just too much for one person. So hopefully then if you haven't, if a parent hasn't found support yet, that they might be able to seek out some support um, for that or continued support. The other part of that is that um, I was thinking about a, par a parent's own attachment style. Cause we all of course have our own childhoods. Obviously we were all children once and we had our parents or or whoever raised us. And so we all grow up with our own attachment styles or our own attachment tendencies. And if that was not a really secure attachment and you can Google, you know, if you're wondering what different attachment styles, it's, you can Google that, but there's a few different attachment styles. I think it's probably a lot more complicated than just a few styles. But if you did not grow up with a secure attachment that was safe and loving and, um, where you didn't really have to worry about the attachment with your parent, particularly your mom. Uh, and I think, I think probably a lot of people did not grow up with that kind of secure attachment style. So if you've had attachment difficulties in your own childhood, um, or especially if you had your own traumas, abuse or neglect or the death of a parent or other kinds of traumas, and if those have been left unresolved or un, if you haven't had done any work around those so that they're just kind of still sitting there, that's going to all get very likely all churned up. And I think that's very normal for parenting anyway. Mm -hmm. And then parenting a child who has, has their trauma and so they're giving you all their trauma <laughs> by their behaviors and different things. And now your trauma is getting all churned up from like 30 years ago or something in uh, your attachment style is getting, maybe it was a kind of an insecure attachment or elements of insecure attachment, that is going to just all get churned up, or at least the potential for that. And so I think the work for parents, part of the work is also, uh, if they can connect with a therapist um, who can also help them with that part of it, their own past trauma, maybe talking some about their own attachment, because attachment with an adopted child is a really it's it's a really hard 
thing. And I don't mean every single adopted child, but for a lot of uh, adoptive parents, this is a huge source of discussion. And um, how do we? How do I bond with this child? How do I help this child bond with me? Because I'm I'm a stranger. At least kind of in the beginning, I'm a complete stranger to them, to my child, and, and my child's a complete stranger to me. And so uh, the, the attachment and the bonding can be really, really difficult. And sometimes that happens with birth, uh, birth children as well. I don't mean to say that giving birth to a child means you're automatically going to have like perfect, secure attachment. Um, because that sometimes is a difficult thing too. Um, but for adoptive parents, I think it's probably almost par for uh, the experience is just that that's going to happen for probably a lot of adoptive parents is the attachment is just going to be hard. And attachment's a two-way street. So it's not just how can I help my child attach to me, my adopted child. How can I make sure that I'm getting, I'm attaching and bonding with my child, which is really hard if that child is, if most of your experience with them in, in those early days, especially is that they're crying all the time, they're pushing you away. If they're an older child, maybe they're throwing things at you or they're just pushing and pushing and pushing you away. Hiding, um, running from you. Yeah, that can be a really, it can be very hard to even want to attach to that child. And of course you want to, but how in the world do you do that? So, so it can, um, so then there's so much shame that's like, uh, you know, I want to attach this child, but maybe there's this hidden feeling of like, man, I'm so tired and I'm tired of all of his behaviors or her behaviors. Maybe there's a part of you that is starting to feel like I wish I hadn't done this or I, you know, adopted or I, don't like him or I don't like her. And then, of course, you feel terrible, terrible guilt at feeling those ways. Um, so being able to find a therapist who can really help you to express these things without feeling shamed, without feeling like I'm just the most horrible parent on the face of the earth. This is a child who's been through so much. How can I be feeling these ways? A, a therapist that can sit with you through all of that and just listen and then try to help you make sense of, try to normalize some of it and help you make sense of that and then help you to uh, find ways to begin to work through some of that um, to a little bit of a calmer place or a um, better place. And that might take, you know, some time depending on what's happening at home with your parent, uh, with your child, and also, you know, with your relationship. Um, if there's all these different behaviors going on, it's really hard on a marriage. It's really hard on siblings. So it's, it's uh, it's really it's hard on your other relationships where you might normally find support, your friendships or at church or whatever it might be, um, because those often people may may begin to drift away. Uh, people you might normally find support from, so it it gets it can it can be a really really difficult place. That's why I kind of called it. Uh, you know, you're in the trenches um, when things are going really really bad for a long time. Yeah, uh, this has been so interesting to think about because, um, you know, thinking about being an adoptive or foster parent or parenting a child who has trauma as a secondary traumatic stress experience, it totally makes sense. And yet 
I think it's so great that we're having this conversation because what I'm hoping is that if there's anyone listening to this who's like, that's how I feel, but I didn't know what to call it. And I just, because I didn't know what it was, I just dismissed it and I felt like it wasn't real. You know, for those people who are listening to be able to say, wow, there are therapists who can help with this. And that if I know how to explain what I'm feeling, maybe I can find the therapist who will be able to help me feel better with this because, you know, I love my child and I want to feel connected. And, you know, at the same time, parenting is so hard on a good day that it's, um, you know, it's, it can be really discouraging when you think you're the only one who's suffering this way. So I'm so glad that you brought these points to light. Absolutely. It's something, you know, again, I'm very passionate about because I, um, I, I have lived it myself. Um, and so it's something that, um, it's something I feel that's really, I mean, trauma is something that I've, uh, loved working with for a long time and still love to work with. And I think this is a piece of, um, piece of trauma. That's not that well understood attachment trauma, um, is maybe, and certainly there are some really great, um, neuroscientists and therapists who are doing research and, and working with people around this, but it's not a real common sort of thing to be able to, um, get accurate information on. And I think, you know, what you were saying about or earlier about uh, adoption being sometimes kind of misunderstood, um, that I think that that's also a piece of it is that people, you know, even therapists, um, you know, they might think to themselves, well, um, you know, you're looking at, you're working with this parent and they're telling you all of these things and you're thinking, well, um, but now your child is safe or um, aren't you a... Uh, an angel, you know, or just, aren't you just uh, such a savior for like saving this child from, uh, whatever circumstances that brought them to be adopted. Or, um, I remember talking to an adoptive parent who said, well, my child's past therapist, uh, said, well, I, I don't really think adoption has much to do with your child's anxiety and depression, maybe a little bit. And, um, and it turned out to just be a huge piece, you know, for this child that was completely, overlooked by a well, well-meaning therapist. I don't mean to, um, I don't mean to, you know, be critical. I, I'm just more trying to say that it, I think it's a really misunderstood piece and it's easy, especially when a child has been adopted at birth, um, where it's like, oh, well, they never have had any abuse or any, so they, they just moved right from the adoption agency or the orphanage straight into, a you know, adoptive home and loving, safe parents. And sometimes, um, that is the case. Sometimes things go smoothly and truly a person may never have much, uh, difficulty with their adoption, but sometimes not. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can creep up at the, uh, times when you just don't expect it. Um, so that all of a sudden your child is just, you know, you're like, they're just having all these behaviors and, you know, up until then they've been such an easy child to raise or, or they've, uh, maybe it doesn't happen until adulthood that they start to have a lot of um, things come up. And often around uh, important um, like life transitions. So things like uh, um, puberty, for instance, or graduating from high school or uh, becoming a parent yourself 
um, getting married, these, these important ages or important life stages are times when sometimes that will really get to be churned up. Um, because they're these vulnerable times when you're kind of looking back, you know, in your own life and you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't know. Now I'm pregnant with my first child and I don't know anything about my genetics. I don't know anything about my own history. Um, if you're an adopted person. So maybe that starts to really bring up a lot of very confusing thoughts. I think too, so much of it, it's not always just so unconscious, but it can be out of our awareness, the emotions and the, even the body sensations can be separate from the thoughts because your thoughts, you could say, well, it has nothing to do with that. Or, you know, it's, we can talk ourselves out of it in the stories we tell ourselves, but the emotional response we have, especially with trauma, it's primitive response. It's not, there's no real connection with your logic. So, um, you know, may not even be necessarily saying to yourself, well, I don't know my genetics, but just something biological seems to be happening in your leg. I'm not okay. Yes, exactly. And sometimes it can really, uh, it can, it can be very hard to connect like what's happening with you now. Say that for some reason you're starting to just really feel a lot of anger, becoming very angry or having a lot of grief or something. And you can't really figure out why that's that trying to hold on to fog. Uh, and it can be really hard for people to connect that all the way back to like being, um, given up for adoption at two days old or something like that. And so sometimes the reactions can feel very infantile, uh, which can be a very confusing feeling for, you know, somebody who's an adult or a teenager. Um, so in other words, um, the feelings that you're having and the thoughts also can be very, can feel very disconnected from anything else that seems to be going on in your life. And so, so then it's really confusing. Um, and, you, you know, maybe thinking, well, why, you know, maybe you're pregnant with your first child and you're thinking, well, yeah, it's normal for a pregnant woman to, you know, have a lot of emotions, like more than you would if you, before you were pregnant or something, but maybe it's like you're having extreme emotions that ha- that are like, a lot of grief or a lot of anger and you're just like, what is happening to me? Mm-hmm. And so, so it can kind of sneak up in these ways where it just doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever. And so that grief piece, especially, uh, I think is a really, really big one. Uh, and that's the one I think that people often really want to lock away because it's so heavy and it's so intense and it's so confusing. How can you grieve Having lost a, say, a birth mother who you never even met, maybe you were given up for adoption like right away, or how can you uh, grieve, um, you know, maybe if you become aware that you have a biological sibling and maybe now you have a, you're just such grief because you never got to know that sibling. And it's like, but I didn't, I don't even know this person. How can I grieve not having a relationship with them. So it's, it's a very, I don't know if disenfranchise is the right word for the grief, but it's a, it's a very strange kind of grief that I don't even have a name. I don't even know if there's quite a name for it, or maybe there is a particular kind of grief. Um, it's very illogical. It's, it, I think that's what can 
be hard for people is that it just doesn't seem to make any logical sense. And that can really start to, in our, in our society, that's a very analytical, you know, reasoning sort of society. It's a little hard to, uh, try to make sense about what's happening. Yeah. Well, this has been so interesting. So, um, I hope that people who are listening, if any of these feelings seem like anything that you could be experiencing or someone you know might be, um, just knowing that there's some, there's a reason that could make sense why you would be feeling this way and maybe, you know, exploring that with a therapist would be useful. I think that's really fabulous. And um, it's been very thought provoking for me. And um, so I want to give you a few minutes too to talk about how in your practice, you work with um, all of the different types of clients you work with who are affected by attachment trauma and adoption and how ecotherapy comes into play with it. Yeah, so um, that's something that is a real, um, that I'm really passionate about is ecotherapy. And like I said, I, I do a lot of the real conventional types of talk therapies um, and some sand tray and different things. But um, over the years of working with a lot of different, you know, kinds of trauma, mainly interpersonal type trauma, abuse and neglect, um, and I think I think most trauma therapists will will say this too, and they might have different ways of coming, different ways of approaching this. So some therapists will the nonverbal piece of working with trauma I think is really important because trauma doesn't uh, we know doesn't really live in the part of the brain that has to do with logic and verbal ability. So uh, that's why trauma uh, kind of defies logic sometimes is the way that it can feel for people. So we have to like have some nonverbal ways to get, have access to where there are traumatic memories and where the, where the trauma is. So for me, some, some therapists will use art, uh, somatic, creative therapies, music, different uh, animal assisted therapy, these kind of things. Um, one of the things that I do that I have found really effective is using nature-based therapies. And so that partly comes from um, in my past life, before I was a therapist, I was a wildlife biologist. So it's kind of a natural fit for me, um, tapping into the healing aspects of nature and the restorative aspects. And so there's a ton of research behind this. And also we don't necessarily need research to know that going out into nature, uh, maybe sitting by a pond or a Creek or, um, you know, some kind of beautiful area or, something is restorative. Like you just feel a little bit better, um, maybe a little bit calmer. And so some of what, some of my work is simply, uh, validating and encouraging people to spend more time in nature. And that can just be as simple as sitting on your front porch. Uh, if you can go on a hike or go to a park where there's a pond or something like that. Uh, so simply allowing nature to do the work that it does, which is relax the nervous system, uh, it helps a little bit with depression and anxiety, helps to relieve some of those symptoms, these kinds of things that nature just does passively. But then the deeper work of ecotherapy as a therapeutic, you know, evidence-based therapeutic approach is that then you can start to help clients uh, become a, develop a relationship with the natural world so that 
nature becomes kind of a teacher. Well, nature becomes actually for me is a co-therapist mm. is how I view it. And so nature becomes a teacher and a guide and a mirror. Um, and it's hard to explain in words cause it's very experiential. Um, but for instance, um, I might be, uh, sitting next to a Creek or something with a client and, Maybe we're talking about a particular, maybe she or he says, um, I really love this rock that we're sitting on. This is, and, and so I might say something like, well, what, what seems to come up for you when you are thinking about this rock or as you're touching this rock? And they might start to talk about the strength of the rock or the, the steadiness of the rock. Um, or maybe they're talking about water and how water is so, um, uh, feels very cleansing or something like this. So we, we can begin to then take it into a deeper place of, um, maybe, uh, you know, that might be the rock as a reflection of their own inner strength as one example, or it might be that when you are not feeling very strong as a parent or as a person, which happens to all of us, maybe this is a place where you can come and simply, sit with this rock, let nature do what it does passively to help. And also just kind of be with this rock and see if you can just, uh, begin to feel a little more strength, you know, and that can also be maybe a particular animal. Some people talk about, you know, I'm, I'm more connected to trees because they're flexible or, you know, they bend with the wind or I love their roots. And so that becomes like a mirror of who they are inside. And then we can talk about, you know, their strengths, you know, like this tree, maybe you have really deep roots. Um, so that maybe one of your strengths as a parent is that you are a really steady, strong person, but it's, it's not strong in the same way that like a grizzly bear is strong or something. It's, it's more of a deep inner well of strength. Uh, or maybe you're very flexible, as a parent, maybe that's a strength of yours so that when you're having a difficult parenting moment, you can visualize this tree that we're sitting here next to that you uh, have seemed to, you know, really enjoy. Uh, and you maybe in your mind, you see it moving with the wind, something like this. Again, it's hard to explain in words, but experiencing it, um, it can be really deeply moving and deeply affecting for people. And it's a, what I love about it is it's also very gentle. Uh, trauma is a very powerful thing, and I love that connecting with nature is a very gentle sort of thing. We're often sitting side by side or we're walking side by side, which is a gentle thing in and of itself because we're not it's not two people staring at each other in a therapist's office. It's um, people don't we don't have to look at each other in that same way, and that can be really helpful for some people when when their trauma is so or their secondary trauma is so intense that even just being in a therapist's office is too much. So uh, it's a I, feel, I find it to be a much more gentle kind of therapy, and I also find it to be a lot very containing. And mm -hmm. so you can bring it. You think about veterans who. Um, Maybe you've heard about these uh, like rafting trips and different trips where they're, uh, you know, rafting down water that's like churning and really powerful water. And there's canyons, you know, uh, canyon walls along the side. These are really strong elements of nature. And part of what I think is going on is that that's a that that has the 
ability to contain the immensely strong feelings that come with PTSD and the body sensations and the nightmares and the thoughts and the hypervigilance. So sometimes these really strong elements of nature um, or the spaciousness of nature can contain that. Whereas in a therapist's office, it's, it's in a, you're in a little box, you know, like my office, I try to make it really welcoming, but it's still a box inside. <laughs> and sometimes it's just too much for people. Um, their feelings and their experience of PTSD is just too big and too overwhelming that to even try to talk about it is just too much. And now they're re-traumatized. But being out in nature, it, there's something about it where nature can just kind of contain or absorb that a little bit better in it's in a lot of it's nonverbal and so I'm also trusting that nature is just allowing things to happen uh, maybe it's as simple as calming the nervous system uh, but um, I can I can see it happening and I can feel the difference working with people outside versus in my office and sometimes working in my office is is the appropriate place to be. So I don't, I'm not, I don't necessarily go outside all the time with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's kind of in a nutshell, um, how, sort of how that works. Yeah, that was a really interesting description. And I know we're kind of getting to the end of our time. So I wish we could talk more about ecotherapy. Maybe if you want to come back for a third interview, we can get into that more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would love that. Yeah. yeah. So Amy, um, how can people find out more about what you're doing? I know you do a lot of workshops, presentations, in addition to your clinical work. Um, how can people keep up with what you have going on? Yeah. Um, so of course, anybody who's in Texas, which is where I am, I'm in Marble Falls for anybody who might be listening, who is in Texas. Um, I, I'm starting to, I'm going to wait till the, it's very hot down here right now. So I'm going to wait till the weather cools off maybe this fall, um, or spring. And I'm going to start to do, um, what I'd like to do is a lot more, uh, workshops and maybe retreats, but also just walk a guided nature, uh, connected connectedness walks. Um, and some of those will be free, you know, some of the bigger ones like retreats or something, of course, will have a, a fee associated, but, um, so anybody who lives in the, in Texas, especially in the Austin, central Texas area, they could go to my website and just um, sign up on my, uh, to get my, excuse me, to get my blog. Uh, although I will say that I've um, gotten a little bit lax about doing blog posts, so it's been a while, but that would get you onto my mailing list. Um, or somebody could just email me directly through my contact page and I and just say, can you please put me on your ecotherapy mailing list or something? And I'd be happy to do that. Um, and what is your website? Oh, yes, that, that would be helpful. <laughs> um, it's uh, counseling. So that's A-M-Y-S-U... G-E-N-O counseling.com. Um, and most of, most of my website is right now is more about my counseling practice. Um, the, the walks and the retreats I haven't, I'm just now starting to really work on those. So I, I may actually come up with a whole different website at some point that will just talk about all the ecotherapy stuff. So my website right now does not have a huge presence, uh, as far as eco, what I'm offering with ecotherapy, 
Um, but it will at, at some point because um, it's where I'm moving my practice more in that direction. Um, Great. So, so even if people are listening to this, you know, a couple of years after 2016, they can probably go to that website and get to the ecotherapy information, whether it's on a different website or they're connected or whatever. Exactly. And then actually one, one thing, if, if, if there's anybody um, listening who is from the Wisconsin, Minnesota area, um, in October, it's the 21st and the 22nd of October, there's a, it's the Wisconsin Foster and Parent, uh, Foster and Adoptive Parent Association conference, fall conference. And I'm actually going to be speaking up there. I'm going to be doing an ecotherapy workshop uh, one day. And then um, the next day, I think I'm going to be doing like a, I think maybe the keynote uh, I'm going to do another Ooh. talk. I don't know if it's a keynote or I don't remember, <laughs> but I'll be speaking again. And that's going to be more on secondary trauma um, in foster and adoptive parents. I'm going to be doing two things um, with that. So anybody who wants to um, go to that conference, that would be a way to, I think it's pretty affordable. Um, so that would be another opportunity. That's a little unusual. I, I haven't, uh, don't really do a lot of talks outside of Texas. So that's kind of, I'm really excited about I've never been up to that area before. That is very cool. So that's October 2016. And hopefully people will who are listening to this after that time will still be able to go on your website and see the other things you're doing coming up and get your newsletter and all that good stuff. Well, Amy, it's been delightful to talk to you again. And um, I hope that we'll continue this conversation in the future. But for now, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Amy Sugeno, LCSW. She is doing amazing work using ecotherapy, using nature as her co-therapist, as she said, to help people who've experienced trauma related to attachment. Um, Her work with people who've had attachment trauma related to adoption is fascinating and very important. So if anything in this episode resonates for you, please reach out for a therapist in your area and see if you can find someone who specializes in attachment, because that will be important for having someone who really understands what is causing the way you feel. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Therapy Chat. As always, I welcome you to visit iTunes and leave a rating and review and subscribe so you can get all the latest episodes. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website at www.lauraregan.com. LCSWC.com.